have so much fun and I will see you all very, very soon. Bye y'all. I'm not here. There I am. All right. Isn't that cool? I love that. Nothing like just the smooth tones of Spanish beach to just start the evening, right? Um, wow. Uh, well, good evening, guys. If we haven't had the chance to meet yet, my name is Rudy Hartman. I'm on staff here with Doxa, with Salt Company. Um, you've had the honor, in my opinion, of hearing two of my favorite people in the world get to teach the last two weeks. John from Campus to Campus two weeks ago. Last week, Rob, uh, our lead pastor here at Doxa. I I've been grateful to get to listen in and kind of sit back for a little bit, but I've been looking forward to this message in particular for a while. So uh, like Julia said, we are in Acts chapter 13, continuing our collection of talks or our, our, our series uh, called Gospel Change. We're looking at the church of Antioch and how the gospel came to to this church in Antioch and then went from this church uh, in Antioch to uh, Asia Minor to see the gospel spread from them. Over the last couple of weeks, we've, we've really looked at a couple ideas that we've seen and we've been going pretty slow through this. So we looked at Acts chapter 11, some background on the church of Antioch, how gospel change takes place within gospel culture, how in a culture where people are speaking with both grace and truth, does the gospel do uh, some significant work within a community. Last week, uh, Rob talked about how uh, the gospel changed the people of Antioch into a praying people. And I'm kind of following up even a little bit from what uh, Rob said, said last week as we are just slowly moving through these verses and, and we're seeing that the gospel came, check the flow, the gospel came to the people in Antioch on its way to someone else. And we can say that, and we say that a lot here at Salt Company, we say that a lot at Doxa, but I think what's important to note is that it's not as if the gospel just came and then just like passed through and went to the next place. It was that the gospel of Jesus Christ came, it changed the people in Antioch, there was impact on the people in Antioch, and then it went out from Antioch. And I, and I need us to see this because I get, I get so nervous sometimes when we talk about things like this. I get nervous that this is just going to like kind of blend into like the kind of hustle culture of the West where you're basically, uh, uh, your value is like someone who's a Christian or in a space like this is determined based on what you're able to produce or, or, or kind of your, uh, the, the, what you're able to accomplish or what you're able to do. I think this is frankly one of the reasons that exhaustion just happens to be in the air that you breathe in your city and on this campus and sometimes in spaces like this. That we have this idea around church that like, okay, am I doing enough? Am I producing enough? Am I accomplishing enough? Has the gospel gone through me enough? Like there's, there's all of this, this just, just, just intermingled ideology that this, this gospel, this good news of Jesus Christ, that God so loved the world that he came and he lived the perfect life through his son, Jesus Christ, that he could, we could never live and died the death on the cross, like Julia talked about, that we deserve, but didn't stay dead, but rose again so that we might be dead to our sin and alive to God in Christ, that that actually impacts us in a significant way and doesn't just put something else on our to-do list, right? It actually shapes and changes the way that we live. The gospel came to Antioch on its way to someone else, but the gospel worked in Antioch before it continued through. And in the same way, the gospel comes to us, yes, on its way to someone else, but it, it works in us first. In, in Antioch, we see a daily practice going on in this church that daily 
the, the men and women in this church who would return to this good news of the gospel so that it might go out through them. It, it was like breathing to the church at Antioch. They would inhale the good news of the gospel and then they would exhale mission. They would exhale life. They would exhale living with and for Jesus. They had to breathe in though before they could breathe out. And what I want us to focus in on this evening is the cruciality of breathing in before we breathe out. The next couple of weeks are going to be very uh, kind of fast. They're going to move towards the formation of a community as we look at what that community, oh, it was diverse and it was united. How did that happen? And then we're going to see that the gospel does go rapidly from Antioch. But before we look at those pieces of change, the community and the mission, we have to turn our attention to the inhale of the gospel, to the breathing in of grace that Jesus has provided for this church in Antioch and for us today. So tonight I wanna teach you how to breathe in. And that's found in the practice of daily worship. If you are a note taker, that's right at the top of your page, daily, daily worship. Um, and to do that, to talk about daily worship, I need to take you back, but not quite to Antioch, not yet, but to New York City about nine years ago. Um, when I was 20, I was a part of a church plant Ooh, sorry, I was, I, I paused at a bad time for you. That's not your fault, that's me. Uh, I, when I was 20, I was a part of a church plant in Tampa, much like how y'all are a part of a church plant here in Madison. And some of you will be a part of a church plant in Ann Arbor next year and in Oregon, perhaps the year after that. And, and our, our team from Tampa took a trip up to New York City to go and learn from a few church planters in the city. Have any of y'all like been, to, anyone been to New York City? Anyone, a couple people? All right, does anybody know like juniors, if I say juniors, do you know what juniors is? Juniors cheesecake? Oh, guys. All right. Juniors cheesecake. If you ever, okay, it's like in Brooklyn, but it's also kind of in Long Island. You just got to go to like Brooklyn juniors if you're ever in New York again. So I'll never forget sitting down in juniors and just like smashing a slice of cheesecake and meeting this guy that was planning a church called The Bridge, New York City. Uh, his name was Pastor James T. Roberson III. He goes by Pastor James, but I like that name, James T. Roberson III. That just sounds like Mm, yeah. Okay. I just love it. And when I tell you that I was like not ready for this meeting that I was about to step into, like, I'm not kidding. I was ill-prepared for what was about to happen. Like I, 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 uh, I've changed since I was 20. 20-year-old 20 me would look at 29-year-old me with disgust and disdain. And I would look at him and say, you need to chill. Um, like, like I was like wearing slacks and like a horizontal. Remember when we used to wear horizontal stripes? Is anyone doing that here tonight? Sorry. But like I was wearing horizontal, like the red and off red. It was bad. I looked like I play rugby. I never played rugby a day in my life. Like I was wearing slacks and like the rugby ish kind of John and like I, I, I'm rolling in and I've got I had do you remember this was never popular here there's no way okay like one of those like not like the crossbody bags but like the like the full-on like laptop bag that had a sling over it and now you guys your laptop and you're like hip like you're just like kind of like limping right I had one of those rocking through Brooklyn New York nine years ago that's a mistake. Um, so I'm, I'm walking to this and I, I promise you, like I whip out like a notebook, a G2.7, of course. Um, and I'm like ready to write. I know that's a fight, but like I'm ready to write. And I look at him and I'm like, 
about to ask questions, and I'm doing like the 20-year-old cocky like church planner thing where I was like going to ask him a question that I kind of already knew the answer to. So I was going to ask him a question so we could have a great conversation. I could feel good about myself, right? All that. Okay. So I'm, I'm like sitting down with him and I look at him across the table and I say, Hey man, what's your strategy for planning this church? <laughs> that seems like a good question, right? It was nine years ago. And I'll, I still remember this man looking me like dead in my eyes, like keeping eye contact while eating a piece of cheesecake <laughs> and then saying my strategy. What's my strategy for planning this church? Let me just read. I wrote down what he said. I've kept it. Let me, let me just read what he said. He said, what's my strategy? Hmm. Well, Rudy, my strategy is this. Every morning I wake up early and I worship Jesus. I read my Bible, I pray, I ask God what I should do, and then I write down what I think he wants me to do that day, and then I go and do it. That's my strategy. I was sunned in that moment, you know, like, like I didn't expect that. I thought it was going to be like, well, here's like the pipeline from getting from point A to point B. Like, I, the man just looked at me and he said, here's my strategy. I'm going to try to like worship Jesus every day and let everything that I do come out of that and ask God that he would plant a church here in this city. It was daily worship. Y'all, I didn't write a word in my notebook as he shared story after story after story after story after story of what God had done through that simple strategy and plan and devotion to daily worship. And God has not only been doing that through Pastor James, he's been doing that for centuries upon centuries because before there was Pastor James, there was Antioch. You see this in Acts chapter 13, verse two, as they were worshiping. That word worshiping uh, comes from the original word legetoro, which is where the word liturgy comes from. It's this idea of a rhythm of worship, a, a methodology of worship, a practice of worship that uh, doesn't have this like beginning or ending point, but is a daily rhythm in the life of the person. This is a practice of worship that marked the church uh, of Antioch. Antioch was a church that worshiped daily. They spent time devoted in prayer, as you saw last week. They spent time in the, in the text as they would remind one another through the oral traditions. They would spend time in service together. They worshiped daily. They would spend time with the one, Jesus, who had told them that he was with them daily. And this is wild when you consider more about like the culture of what Antioch was like. Antioch was not just this like tiny city out in the middle of kind of the near Middle East. Antioch was the third largest city in the Roman Empire. It was Rome, Alexandria. Alexandria and then Antioch. It was a city of artistic beauty and perpetual vice, the home of Daphne and Apollo and kind of the ancient pantheon of Grecian gods. It was a major trade route, both by sea and land, which caused it to be an economic hotbed resulting in deep corruption within the city, leading to multiple people groups and cultures moving to live there and make their living. Here's the culture of Antioch summed up in one word, speed. <laughs> You moved fast if you were going to make it in Antioch. If you wanted to make your bag, if you wanted to kind of build your family's wealth and status in Antioch, and Antioch was the place to do it. People of surrounding nations would come and go from Antioch to sell and to trade. Business was booming so long as you moved quickly and in some instances moved corruptly. It was in this upward mobility hungry city of economically driven speed that the people of the church of Antioch made a countercultural decision to slow down and worship Jesus daily. 
The men and women of Antioch knew God and they knew that God had come to them. They knew the love of God seen in the life, death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. They had been taught his forgiveness. They had been taught his grace. They had been taught how to pray. Owning a scroll with scriptures on it would have required immense wealth so they would learn from their teachers. They learned from the elders of their church, which we'll talk about next week. They would meditate on what they were learning by in, in and through the practice of prayer, which we saw last week. It was like seeing Psalm chapter one, verses one through three played out on the dusty streets of Antioch day after day. How happy is the one who doesn't walk in the advice of the wicked or stand in the pathway of sinners or sit in the company of mockers. Instead, their delight is in the Lord's instruction. They meditate on it day and night. They're like a tree planted beside flowing streams. They bear their fruit in its season. Its leaf doesn't wither. Whatever they do prospers. It is seen in this practice of daily worship that they just didn't know facts about God, but they knew him. They didn't just know stats on Jesus, they knew Jesus. But they didn't just know who he was, they knew who he said that they were. It was so true that in Acts chapter 11, we we saw it a couple weeks ago, it was in Acts chapter 11, it was the first place that men and women were called Christians, were called little Christs, that their activity was a a marker of their identity. This was a common practice, by the way. If you know anybody named with the last name of like Smiths, it's likely that their families were blacksmiths, carpenter, carpenter cook like one of my best friends they were probably cooks it was this identification of a surname that actually revealed in the activity of that surname the identity of the person and as these people were called christians it was their activity daily as they worshiped jesus and lived out of that worship of jesus that marked who they were in the eyes of the people around them they were so wrapped up in who jesus was that it was it was just identified and how they were seen and how they saw themselves Their knowing God and knowing who God said they were fueled the work of these Christians in Antioch to see the kingdom of God come there as it was in heaven. And they got to see that. They got to see that there in Antioch. They got to see that through Antioch. And Salt Company, if if we want what they had, which I would contend that we do, we need to follow them as they follow Christ. And so we, we see this practice come to the top of, of their, their rhythms in Antioch. They worship daily. So two questions I want you to consider that I'm, I'm kind of going to answer, but really want to leave you with um, in, in relation to this idea of daily worship. So the first question is this. I wonder how would your life change if you just started more mornings with Jesus? Like how would your life change if you just started more mornings with, with him? And what if the relationship that you've wanted with Jesus for so long is actually living on the other side of a commitment to daily worship? What if, what if this is that thing, that moment that you've been waiting for to, to finally take that step into that relationship with Jesus that you've desired, that you've craved? I think that if you put daily worship into practice, that three things in particular would grow stronger. I'm gonna take the next few moments to break these three down, make one final note. And then just give us some time to respond and we'll, we'll go into our late night on dating uh, shortly after we sing. But three areas of your life where I think your relationship with Christ or, or, or you would grow stronger. They all start with I because rhetorical devices are a gift from God and it helps me remember. All right. Um, intimacy, identity, and ignition. Intimacy, identity, and ignition. All right. So first, Intimacy. Intimacy and daily worship. Intimacy is about knowing who God is. None of you know who this couple is, 
but they're just some dear friends of mine and Molly's, uh, Dan and Sandy Rowe. Uh, they retired uh, last year. They're an incredible couple. They were our connection group leaders while we were planting the church in uh, State College, Pennsylvania. Um, you may not know them, but they have 100% prayed for you. They are just good friends of ours who care and love about the work that God is doing here. But Dan and Sandy have been married for more than three decades. And last year, uh, they finished going through a book on marriage together, which is crazy. <laughs> like, They've been married for three decades. And last year they were like, you know what we should do? Read a book on marriage together. That, that's nuts, guys. Like you'd think like that they could probably assume like, hey, three decades, I think we've got this down, right? I think we like know how to be married to one another. But I, I love this picture that they give us here of, of intimacy because intimacy says that there is always more to know about the person that you're in relationship with. Dan and Sandy have been married for 30 years and they want to continue to put into practice intimacy, knowing one another more and growing in their relationship. And this is the secrecy to, secret to, to intimacy. It, it doesn't end. There's always more to know about the person that you're in relationship with. And when it comes to God, there is not even an end point that you will ever come close to grasping. There is no end point at which you will fully, completely, wholly know God. There is always more. There's another aspect of his character, another element of his kindness, another reality of his work, words, or ways for you to come to know and to see. You will never run out of room to grow in your understanding of who God is. Pastor Derwin Gray says it like this. He says, the intimacy explains itself. Intimacy spelled out as into me, you see. You are seeing more and more of who God is as you are with him daily, which only further expands the depths of your relationship with him. And it is in daily worship that you strengthen your understanding and your confidence in who God is. Intimacy speaks to the relationship that God wants us to have with him. And it's this relationship that begins with Jesus Christ. In our sin, we are obsessed with ourselves. We look everywhere else for belonging, for meaning, for life, for intimacy, and we come up short every time. Sin causes enmity, it causes brokenness, separation between us and God. Our sin was rebellion against him while we tried to convince ourselves that we were just okay. The late Ecuadorian theologian C. René Padilla calls this self-deception self due to sin the big lie. We are trapped in the big lie of our sin and on our own, we cannot get out of it. But God so loved the world, so loved his creation, so loved his people that he sent Jesus and he gave his son and made a way through his life, death, burial and resurrection of Jesus Christ for us to go from rebel to relationship and from enemy to family. And as we grow in our relationship with God through daily worship, we learn that God doesn't just love us, he likes us. Christian, like, I feel like this is something that we miss sometimes. We feel like God is like obligated to love us because of something that Jesus Christ has done, but we miss the, the tender reality of a relationship with him, of the relationship of the personal God who oversees all things. He is powerful and transcendent and he is personal and imminent. He is different from us, yes, but he is not so distant from us. And Christian, he actually likes you. He delights in you. 
Psalm 18, 19 says, he rescued me because he delighted in me. Psalm 149 verse four says, the Lord takes pleasure in his people. He gives the humble salvation. Zephaniah 3, 7 says, the Lord, your God is in your midst, the mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. John 15, 9, Jesus talking to his disciples, he said, hey, as my father has loved me, that's how I love you. He likes you, Christian. He sees you. He makes a place for you to belong with him. He strengthens you by grace in your weakest moments by simply being with you. In daily worship, our attention is fixed on him and our affections follow our attention and our activity follows our affection. Daily worship is a place where your relationship with God can grow in intimacy as you come to know him more and more and grow more and more confident in knowing who he is. But it doesn't stop there, right? Daily worship doesn't just stop with intimacy. No, intimacy actually shapes more than just your view of God. It helps you to understand your identity. Just like at Antioch, intimacy helps us understand who God says that we are. So you see, daily worship strengthens my intimacy with God and it helps me to understand my identity in God. So if we go from intimacy, knowing who God is, to identity, knowing who God says I am. I wonder if we were just to like sit across a table at, I don't know, like Crescendo or Wonder State or somewhere and share a cup of coffee. And I was just to ask you this question, what your answer would be, but like, who does God say that you are? Like, do you know who God says that you are? Like, I don't mean that like, this is who my parents have told me that I am. And so I'm going to imprint that and just assume that's also how God sees me. I don't mean that by like your friends like see you this way and have told you these things about you, both good and bad. And that's now how God, but no, 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 no. Don't put words in his mouth that he's never spoken. Who does God say that you are? Daily worship helps us to remember and live into who God says that we are. Few things are more formational than a proper understanding of our identity in Christ. Paul David Tripp says it like this. He says, there may be no more important and life-shaping interpretations that humans can make than identity. The identity that you understand yourself to have becomes a lens through which you interpret the entirety of the world around you. In God's perfect plan, we are intended to receive our identity vertically. Just think about how this is seen in the garden. Adam and Eve are shown not as understanding who they are from the animals around them or the produce around them or the fruit or the flowers or the land of the water. They were not to receive it horizontally, but vertically from God himself. In fact, sin enters in when they stop looking vertically and start looking horizontally instead. Understand this, sin is not simply the act of disobedience and consuming the fruit. Sin was a rejection of the identity that they had been given by their creator. And since the fall, we too have not looked vertically, but horizontally to find out who we are. When instead we were actually intended to find our identity vertically through daily worship. And when this happens, when we look horizontally for what we can only find vertically, we experience identity amnesia. Moments and stretches of time where we forget who God says that we are in Christ. This is formally known as the noetic effect of sin. It's the uh, effect of sin on, minds, on our mind's natural knowledge of God, replacing and diluting it with doubt and skepticism. The present effect of sin on our minds causes us to forget who we are. So we go to other places to try to find our identity. We look to something other than God to tell us who we are. And daily worship is a daily war against the noetic effect of sin. 
Daily worship is an attack on our identity amnesia. It's a place where we actually can remember who God says that we are as we read our Bible and as we pray and as we practice a daily time of worship and the spirit of God illuminates to us both who we are and who we are not. We we stop living into who we are not when we have a more full understanding of who we actually are and where the culture around us may throw stones of shame at you if you don't live perfectly into the identity that they say you're supposed to have. Jesus is so patient with us to understand the identity that he has given to us. He is so patient with us as we live more and more fully into our identity and become more and more of who we already are in Christ. So who are you? Like face-to-face with God, Saul Company, who does God say that you are? Like, How has Jesus given you a new identity through the gospel? Can I just help you answer that just a moment? Just share a little, a few verses with you from the New Testament. John chapter 1, verse 12, to all who did receive him who believed in his name, he gave them the right to become the children of God. John 15, 15, no longer do I call you servants, says Jesus, for a servant doesn't know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. Romans chapter 8, verse 1, there's now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Maybe you've heard that one before. Romans chapter 8, verses 16 and 17, the Spirit himself bears witness that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. Galatians 2, 20, I have been crucified with Christ, and it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. The life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Galatians 3, 26, in Christ Jesus, you are children of God through faith. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, you are his workmanship created in Christ for good works. Ephesians chapter 2, Verse 24, you're invited to put on the new self created in the likeness of God in true justice and holiness. Philippians 3.20, our citizenship is not of this earth, but is in heaven where we await a savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Colossians chapter 3, for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 19 through 20, don't you know that you are not your own, but you were bought with a price. You are, your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit within you, which you have from God. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. 2 Corinthians 5, a few verses later, that Jesus Christ became sin, though he knew no sin, so that you might be known as the very righteousness of God in Christ. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. And that is just a sliver, a peak, a poke of who Jesus says that you are. The daily worship is where God reminds us of who we are as we read his word and talk with him in prayer. So we have intimacy and we have identity, but is this where daily worship stops? No, and you know that because I said there were three points. (laughs) Um, But it's actually where daily worship starts. You see, there's our third point. We have intimacy, identity, and finally ignition. Daily worship is our ignition. Hot and fresh out the... I'm kidding. Um, (laughs) I lost everyone right there. Okay. Daily worship is our ignition. Worship is about intimacy and identity before it's about activity. But when you worship, when you experience intimacy with God, when you remember the identity that he's given you, it is then that activity flows from that place. Worship is our ignition. Worship is where we start. You probably have some desire inside of you to make your life worth something. 
You probably want to make a, an impact on and influence the people that are around you or the world that you're in. You probably have some holy ambitions. You probably have a desire perhaps to see people that don't know Jesus come to know Jesus, to see the kingdom of God on earth as it is in heaven. And I think all of that is awesome so long as daily worship is where you start. So long as you remember that you have to breathe in so that you can breathe out. Because if you breathe out all the time, you will suffocate yourself. If worship isn't where your activity starts, then you will get caught up doing something for God rather than trying to do something with him. And there is a difference here. And the difference is daily worship. Daily worship where you are is where you're with the one who loves and likes you and he reminds you of who you are. You don't go out trying to prove yourself to God, but rather understand that he already approves of you because of what Christ has done. And so you can live and move and have your being and see him use you as he has set you apart for the good works that he has for you. Worship is where we start so that as we go, we have something to give. What's accomplished through Christ in us is applied through us towards others. We give what we have received as we worship daily. Let me put it like this. I am best at sharing the gospel when I remember in daily worship my need for the gospel and receive the grace of God. I am best at pursuing justice when I remember in daily worship that I have received justice for my sin already through Christ. I am best at giving mercy when I remember in daily worship that I have received a mercy that is new every morning. I'm best at giving wisdom when I, in daily worship, remember that the scriptures are the way of wisdom. I am best at giving love when in daily worship I meet with a God who is love. I am best at giving a fresh start when I remember that I've received one through Jesus Christ. I'm best at forgiving when I remember through daily worship that I have been forgiven. I am best at pointing the way to freedom to others when I remember that through Christ I have been set free and I'm best at resisting temptation when I remember that that sin was already paid for in Christ who himself taught us to pray that we would not be led into temptation and be delivered from evil. Daily worship is where I remember who God is and who I am so that I can give what I've received from him. Worship is the start. I remember and receive so that as I am going through my day, I can give. I spend time with the king as his kids so that I can actually help see his kingdom come and his will done here in Madison, here in my home, on the campus, in the city, in the world, as it is in heaven. Daily worship is an invitation from God to strengthen your intimacy with him, your identity in him, and to ignite you to go and help others love and follow Jesus. Daily worship's where we start, Salt Company. Daily worship's where the church of Antioch started. And I, and I know many of you are like me. And Logan, you can come on up. I know many of you are like me and you've had days where you feel like you've reached the end of your day and that you've done everything that you feel like you're supposed to do. You've checked everything on your to-do list or Tasky or whatever app you got. And you get to the end of it and you, you, you have this, this thought in the kind of the pit of your stomach where you're like, did I actually do anything today? Like, did, did I just like waste today? It feels like a wasted day. Can I just give you four words that will sum up what daily worship will do in your life? If you practice daily worship, you will have no more wasted days, Salt Company. A day where you worshiped is a day that was never wasted. No more wasted days, Salt. Let's have this practice of gospel change start with us. God, what could he do through us if we grew more in our intimacy, 
more fully aware of the identity that we had and, and not the identity that others try to give you, but the identity that Christ himself came so that you might know that you have. Well, what if instead of trying to exhaust yourself by trying to prove or produce, you actually just sat back and worshiped and that was an overflow of the love of God and the identity of God that he has given to you that actually came out in a worship that touched and impacted the people who are around you. Like I think of a ministry like that and I think of us and I, and I think of what God has done in and through us and I dream about what he will do in and through us, what he could do if we started more mornings with Jesus, what he could do through a, a commitment from a group of people to worship daily and let God have his way through us as we worship daily. I've just been trying to dream and think about what God could do through us. So I wanna give you some time to do that even right now. So if you just close your eyes and bow your heads just for a moment of focus and concentration, I wanna give you a moment to, to consider that. And two questions um, that I just want you to think about. The, the first is simply this. Do you know the Jesus that we've talked about worshiping? Like I've laid it out for you a couple times that our sin separates us from God and we can't earn our way back. We, we need someone to fill the gap between us and him. And God realized that. So he sent his son to do the one thing, the only thing that, the, the only thing that we needed. He, he would come and he would take our sin from us and give his righteousness and right standing to us that he would become sin on a cross, our sin on a cross. He would take our wickedness, our brokenness on himself and he would give his perfect standing to us, but he wouldn't just die so that we'd be innocent. He would rise again so that we might have new life, so that we might be righteous, so that we might have a life in him, so that we might be dead to our sin and alive to God in Christ, so that we might have everlasting and eternal life with God forever if you put our trust in him. Do you know that Jesus? don't, the invitation today is for you to come home to him. You, you today, could, you don't have to clean yourself up. You don't have to fix yourself up. You don't have to believe whatever lies that you feel like, oh, that's for other people, but not for me. It is for you. It is for you. Jesus didn't die so that whosoever called on the name of the Lord might be saved except for you. He called so that whosoever might call on the name of the Lord would be saved, period. You can come home to Jesus today. It's one question to consider, but the other is this. What could God do in you through a practice of daily worship? What could he do in you? What's on the other side of a deeper intimacy between you and God? What's on the deeper side of a more confident understanding of your identity in Christ? What, who is on the other side of your daily worship igniting you to love and follow Jesus and impact the people around you? What could God do in you? Can I, I was just praying earlier and I just want you to stay here, but just, just think about this for a moment. Some of you, you're thinking we're too far into the semester, we're too far in and, 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 and I just haven't, or I've wanted to spend time with Jesus, but I just haven't made the time. And I wanna invite you in to master the restart tonight, that you could start tomorrow, tomorrow and say, today I'm gonna worship Jesus. And that the next day, today I'm gonna worship Jesus. 
that you would experience the beauty of Lamentations 2, 3, 22 through 23, that because of the Lord's faithful love, we don't perish. His mercies never end. They're new every morning. Great is his faithfulness. His mercy towards you is new every morning, which means you have a fresh start every morning. And it's in response to that fresh start every morning that you can worship him daily. Maybe it's been rough to this point. Let's start tomorrow. Take a moment. Just consider those two questions. What could Jesus do in you through daily worship? And do you know this Jesus for daily worship?